Section twenty four of a life's morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Smith Nash, Tulsa, Oklahoma. A life's morning by George Gissing. Section twenty four, chapter eighteen a compact on the last day of the year a sunday dagworthy sat by his fireplace alone luncheon had been removed and decanters stood within his reach but the glass of wine which he had poured out on turning to the fire half an hour ago was still untasted the cigar of which he had cut the end was still between his fingers unlighted for the last three months our friend had not lacked matter for thought to do him justice he had exercised his mind upon it pretty constantly to-day he had received news which gave a fresh impulse to his rumination dagworthy had never since the years of early manhood cared much for any of the various kinds of society open to him in dunfield and his failure to show himself at the houses of his acquaintance for weeks together occasioned no comment but during these last three months he had held so persistently aloof that people had at length begun to ask for an explanation at all events when the end of the political turmoil gave them leisure to think of minor manners once more the triumphant return of Mr. Baxendale had naturally led to festive occasions. At one dinner at the Baxendale's house, Dagworthy was present, but, as it seemed, in body only. People who, in the provincial way, made old jokes last a very long time, remarked to each other with a smile that Dagworthy appeared to be in a mood which promised an item of interest in the police reports before long. One person there was who had special reason for observing him closely that evening, and even for inducing him to converse on certain subjects. This was Mrs. Baxendale. A day or two previously, she had heard a singular story from a friend of hers, which occupied her thought not a little. It interested her to discover how Dagworthy would speak of the Hood family if led to that topic. He did not seem to care to dwell upon it, and the lady, after her experiment, imagined that it had not been made altogether in vain. With that exception, Dagworthy had kept to his mill and his house. It was seldom that he had a visitor, and those persons who did call could hardly feel that they were desired to come again. Mrs. Jenkins, of the Don Tongue, ruled in the household, but had but brief interviews with her master, provided that his meals were served at the proper time. Dagworthy cared to inquire 
into nothing that went on outside his kennels and even those he visited in a sullen way his child he scarcely saw mrs jenkins discovered that to bring the bairn into its father's presence was a sure occasion of wrath so the son and heir took lessons in his native tongue from the housekeeper and her dependents and profited by their instruction dagworthy never inquired about the boy's health once when mrs jenkins alarmed by certain symptoms of infantine disorder ventured to enter the dining-room and broach the subject her master's reply was send for the doctor then can't you he had formerly made a sort of plaything of the child when in the mood for it now he was not merely indifferent the sight of the boy angered him his return home was a signal for the closing of all doors between his room and the remote nursery once when he heard crying he had summoned mrs jenkins if you can't stop that noise he said or keep it out of my hearing i'll send the child to be taken care of in hepsworth or somewhere else further off and then i'll shut up the house and send you all about your business so just mind what i say of late it had become known that he was about to take a partner into his business a member of the Legg family, a name we remember. Dunfieldians discussed the news and revived their pleasure in speculating on the sum total of Dagworthy's fortune. But it was as one talks of possible mines of treasure in the moon. Practical interest in the question could scarcely be said to exist for the chance of dagworthy's remarriage seemed remoter than ever the man was beginning to be one of those figures about whom gathers the peculiar air of mystery which ultimately leads to the creation of myths let him live on in this way for another twenty years and the stories would be told of him to children in the nursery the case of assault and battery a thing of the far past would probably develop into a fable of manslaughter of murder his wife's death was already regarded very much in that light and would class him with bluebeard his house on the heath would assume a forbidding aspect and dread whispers would be exchanged of what went on there under the shadow of night was it not already beginning to be remarked by his neighbors that you met him wandering about lonely places at unholy hours and that he shunned you like one with a guilty conscience let him advance in years his face lose its broad color his hair grow scant and gray his figure perchance stoop a little his eyes acquire the malignity of miserly old age and there you have the hero of a dunfield legend even thus do such grow but he is sitting by his fireside this new year's eve still a young man still fresh-coloured 
only looking tired and lonely and in fact meditating an attempt to recover his interest in life he had admitted a partner to his business chiefly that he might be free to quit yorkshire for a while and yorkshire for a time and at present he was settling affairs to that end this afternoon he expected a visit from mr cartwright who had been serving him in several ways of late and who had promised to come and talk business for an hour the day was anything but cheerful at times a stray flake of snow hissed upon the fire already at three o'clock shadows were invading the room he heard a knock at the front door and supposing it to be cartwright roused himself as he was stirring the fire a servant announced instead of the father the daughter jessie cartwright appeared something amiss with your father dagworthy asked shaking hands with her carelessly yes i'm sorry to say he has such a very bad sore throat that he couldn't possibly come oh what an afternoon to be sure why did you come was dagworthy's not very polite inquiry it wasn't so important as all that walked all the way of course i'm afraid the wet'll drip off my cloak onto the floor take it off then and put it here by the fire to dry he helped her to divest herself and hung the cloak on the back of the chair you may as well sit down shall i give you a glass of wine oh indeed no no thank you i think you'd better have one he said without heeding her i suppose you've got your feet wet i can't very well ask you to take your shoes off oh they're not wet anything to speak of said jessie settling herself in a chair as if her visit were the most ordinary event she watched him pour the wine putting on the face of a child who is going to be treated to something reserved for grown-up persons what do they mean by sending you all this distance in such a weather dagworthy said as he seated himself and extended his legs resting an elbow on the table oh they didn't send me i offered to come and mother wouldn't hear of it well oh i just slipped out of the room and was off before any one could get after me i suppose i'll catch it rarely when i get back but we wanted to know why you haven't been to see us not even on christmas day now that you know was too bad of you mr dagworthy i said you must be ill have you been no no oh the girl exclaimed upon a sudden thought that reminds me i really believe mrs hood is dead at all events the blinds were down as i came past yes was the reply she is dead she died early this morning well i never isn't poor emily having a shocking christmas i declare 
when i saw her last week she looked like a ghost and worse dagworthy gazed at the fire and said nothing one can't be sorry that it's over jessie went on only it's so dreadful her father and mother dead almost at the same time i'm sure it would have killed me what is she going to do dagworthy asked slowly almost as if speaking to himself oh i dare say it'll be all right as soon as she gets over it you know she's a lucky girl in one way lucky he raised his head to regard her how oh well that isn't a thing to talk about and then i don't know anything for certain it's only what people say you know what do people say he asked impatiently though without much sign of active interest it was rather as if her manner annoyed him than the subject of which she spoke i don't see that it can interest you no i don't see that it can still you may as well explain jessie sipped her wine it's only they say she's engaged to whom a gentleman in london somebody in the family where she was teaching how do you know that he asked with the same blending of indifference and annoyed persistency why it's only a guess after all one day barbara and i went to see her and just as we got to the door out comes a gentleman we'd never seen before of course we wondered who he was the next day mother and i were in the station buying a newspaper and there was the same gentleman just going to start by the london train mother remembered she'd seen him walking with mrs baxendale in st luke's and then we found he'd been staying with the baxendales all through emily's illness how did you find out you don't know the baxendales no but mrs gadd does and she told us what is his name mr athel a queer name isn't it dagworthy was silent now you're cross with me jessie exclaimed you'll tell me like you did once before that i'm no good but to pry into other people's business you may pry as much as you like was the murmured reply just because you don't care what i do drink your wine and try to be quiet just for a little why he made no answer until jessie asked why does it seem to interest you so much What? all the stuff you've been telling me i was thinking of something quite different oh exclaimed the girl blankly there was a longer silence jessie let her eyes stray about the room stealing a glance at dagworthy occasionally presently he rose poked the fire with violence and drank his own wine which had been waiting so long i must have out the carriage to send you back he said going to the window to look at the foul weather the carriage indeed protested the girl with a secret joy 
you'll do no such thing i suppose i shall do as i choose he remarked quietly then he came and rang the bell you're not really going to a servant answered and the carriage is ordered well certainly that's one way of getting rid of me jessie observed you can stay as long as you please but the carriage will be round can't i keep it waiting half through the night if i choose i have done so before now i suppose i'm master in my own house it was strictly true that of the carriage once the coachman had been five minutes late on an evening when dagworthy happened to be ill-tempered he bade the man wait at the door and the waiting lasted through several hours the room was growing dusk aren't you very lonely here jessie asked with an indescribable change in her voice yes i suppose i am you won't make it any better by telling me so i feel sorry i dare say you do of course you don't believe me all the same i do feel sorry that won't help no i suppose it won't the words were breathed out on a sigh dagworthy made no answer i'm not much better off she continued in a low spirited voice nonsense he ejaculated roughly half turning his back on her jessie fumbled a moment at her dress then succeeding in getting her handkerchief out began to press it against her eyes furtively strangely there was real moisture to be removed what's the matter with you dagworthy asked with surprise she no longer attempted concealment but began to cry quietly what the deuce has come to you jessie you you speak very unkindly to me she sobbed speak unkindly i didn't know it what did i say you won't believe when i say i'm sorry you feel lonely why confound it i'll believe as much as you like if it comes to that put that handkerchief away and drink another glass of wine she stood up and went to lean on the mantelpiece hiding her face when he was near her again she continued her complaints in a low voice it's so miserable at home they want me to be a teacher and how can i i never pretended to be clever and if i'd all the lessons under the sun i should never be able to teach french and arithmetic and those things but i wish i could then i could get away from home and see new people there's nobody i care to see in dunfield nobody but one she stopped on a sob who's that dagworthy asked looking at her with a singular expression from head to foot she made no answer but sobbed again what christmas presents have you had was his next question irrelevant enough apparently oh none 
none to speak of a, a few little things what do i care for presents you can't live on presents can't live on them are things bad at home i i didn't mean that of course they're bad they're always bad nowadays however barbara's going to be married in a week and she'll be one out of the way and of course i haven't a dress fit to be seen for the wedding why then get a dress how much will it cost he went to a writing-table unlocked a drawer and took out a cheque-book now then he said half jestingly half in earnest what is it to be anything you like to say i'll write it as if i wanted money i can give you that i don't see what else i can do it isn't to be despised no you can do nothing else she said pressing her each cheek with her handkerchief before putting it away will you help me on with my cloak mr dagworthy he took it from the chair and held it for her jessie as if by accident approached her face to his hand and before he saw her purpose kissed his hard fingers then she turned away hiding her face dagworthy dropped the garment and stood looking at her he had a half contemptuous smile on his lips at this moment it was announced that the carriage was coming round jessie caught at her cloak and threw it over her shoulders then with sunk head she offered to shake hands no use jessie dagworthy remarked quietly without answering her gesture of course i know it's no use she said in a hurried voice of shame i know it as well as you can tell me i wish i'd never come but you don't act badly he continued what do you mean she exclaimed indignation helping her to raise her eyes for a moment i am not acting you don't mean anything by it that's all no perhaps not good-bye good-bye i am going away before very long i dare say i shan't see you again before then where are you going to abroad i suppose you'll bring back a foreign wife she said with sad scornfulness no i'm not likely to do that i shouldn't wonder if i'm away for some time though perhaps a couple of years years she exclaimed in astonishment he laughed that startles you i shan't be in t i shan't be back in time for your wedding you see she sobbed again averting her face i shan't ever be married i'm one of those wretched things nobody ever cares for you'll have to show you deserve it why you couldn't give your word and keep it for two years through this 
extraordinary scene, Dagworthy was utterly unlike himself. It as if a man suffering physical agony should suddenly begin to jest and utter wild mirth. There was the same unreality in his behavior. Through it all, the lines of his face never lost their impress of gloom. Misery had its clutch upon him, and he was driven by an inexplicable spirit of self-mockery to burlesque the subject of his unhappiness. He had no sense of responsibility, and certain instincts were strongly excited, making a kind of moral intoxication. Jesse answered his question with wide eyes. I couldn't. Ah! Oh. She spoke under her breath and with sincerity, which was not a little amusing. It's near's Eve, isn't it? Dagworthy pursued, throwing out his words at random. Be here this day two years, or not, as you like. I'm going to wander about, but I shall be here on that day, that is, if I'm alive. You won't, though. Good-bye. He turned away from her and went to the window. Jessie moved a little nearer. Do you mean that? she asked. Mean it? he repeated. Why, yes, as much as I mean anything. Be off. You're keeping that poor devil in the snow. Mr. Dagworthy, I shall be here, and you daren't pretend to forget or say you weren't in earnest. He laughed and waved his hand. Be off to your carriage. Jessie moved to the door reluctantly, but he did not turn again, and she departed. End of section 24, chapter 18. Recording by Susan Smith Nash, Tulsa, Oklahoma.